talking to Mickey Mulville. Is what's Mickey? Is that Michelle? Is yes. That, okay. But you've always gone by Mickey. Yeah. So, you are a manager, tour manager. You do various things. Um, what I find really interesting is when I talk to a number of musicians, they always talk about I need a good manager. And other than often being spouses or girlfriends, a lot of musicians don't have management or are happy. So you're like a rare commodity. How did you get into managing? Uh, completely accidentally. I had a blues club in St. Paul that all the bands, uh, all the blues bands on the circuit played at. And they stayed at my house and I'd cook for them and we were like a big village. I met um, Buddy and Luther Allison and Otis and Syl Johnson and most of the blues guys when I was 16. So when I got the club, they all kind of passed the word and said, play for our girl. And I'm a little bossy by nature. I'm the oldest of a lot of kids. So I'd say, why can't I, you know, why can't I get a poster out of your record company? Why aren't you doing this? You should be doing that. So, and, um, so Jimmy Thackeray said, well, why don't you be my manager? And I said, well, I don't know how to do that. And Syl Johnson said, well, I'll come out of retirement if you'll be my manager. And Luther Allison said, I'll start touring the States more if you'll be my manager. And so I was like, okay, we tried it. And like Luther said, what's the worst that can happen if it doesn't work out? And it worked out and I left the bar and, and it's been a wonderful journey since then. So Luther was the first one? or Luther and Jimmy Thackeray and Syl Johnson were all okay. kind of the same time. So, if I was to ask you, I, I get the concept of what a manager does, but explain to me what you think a manager should be doing. What, what, you, what is your role for your artists? I think a manager's biggest job is to be their artist's advocate and to help implement the artist's vision, not everyone else's vision of what the artist should be or what the last big success was, so I want you to be just like that. Um, I think the most important job is being you're kind of the voice for your artist and for your artist vision and uh, a liaison between pretty much everybody and your artist. you know you help your artists get record deals uh, you try and help them get a booking agent there's a real shortage of booking agents so you try and help them book gigs um, so you do that as well yeah okay. we'd like to have a booking agent on the team uh, and we've been fortunate with many of my artists to have that but there's a there's a particular the last I'd say 10 years is a very big shortage of good booking agents and a lot of artists are booking themselves or have managers that are booking them because there's no one else to do it. And that means calling clubs and festivals and saying, I have this artist. Exactly. And then, you know, in that, you know, now the record business has changed so much. You're also oftentimes putting out the artist's album independently. So figuring out how to do the press and radio, which... One of the greatest gifts I got from working so early with my artist was like with Luther. Everybody's like, well, he's been in Europe for so long. You know, he's so amazing, but we don't know if we can get anybody to come out. And we're like, okay, give us your press list. We'll call the press and radio. And it worked. You know, we, we called and we got press and we got radio to play the record. It was a much more artist friendly time. And all the shows were sold out. And we made way more money than if we would have just gotten the money we were <laughs> asking for. You know? So it was, it was awesome. Um, tell me about Luther, because he's somebody I never got to see. Oh. But I know the power of Luther. I have heard his recordings. And But what was, what was working with Luther like? Luther was amazing. He was truly 
an amazing person and we had an amazing team it was like you know thomas roof had the record company uh luther pretty much started or helped him with that uh helps supported thomas in starting roof records just supported me in management and rocky his life partner who is like the gm over everything right um it was perfect synergy perfect trust we all worked for the common goal and luther just the way people responded to him. I mean, he just transcended what he played, right? He hated to get off the stage. The longest show I ever saw him do was six hours without <laughs> really? a break. Yeah. So, and people would say, you know, oh my gosh, I talked to Luther. It was a spiritual experience. He, he was in France and spoke very little French, but people would talk to him on the train for hours and he would listen and smile and, and people would say it changed their lives. You know, he just was a very kind man and he had just, just, unbelievable talent you know so it was awesome then we were up for grammys he swept the blues awards seven years in a row and unfortunately they got cancer and died way too young he was 56 and it was very quick and um but he was he was great he was a great friend a great mentor a great just a great entertainer so a privilege. as a manager, did, would you talk to Luther on a daily basis, a weekly basis? Pretty much daily. You, you talk to your artist, it, certainly weekly, um, but mostly daily. Um, in check-in, you're, you know, you become often like family, you know, because you know, by choice or not, you pretty much end up knowing everything about your artist, you know, and being on the road and uh, what they're relationship statuses and what's going because all of that like with all of us affects your you know your moods and your days and right. you know so you kind of are the person they can vent to and um keep confidences with and support and and it's i've been lucky with my artists the support has been equally they've been equally supportive of me and what's been going on in my life and different challenges and it's been a wonderful this is a wonderful village to be a part of this whole blues world but somebody like Doug, who's been around for a while and who's, who's attained a certain level of success and following, what, what kind of advice does a manager give him? If that's not an unfair question. Not an unfair question at all. I think um, it's, again, it's helping because an artist can't do everything together. I mean, alone, right? So um, when Doug and I started working together, my only regret was I didn't work with him earlier when he had approached me and things were very hectic at that point and uh and then he wrote me the nicest letter and we started working together and it was it was just like he was doing so well he did everything by himself we still do all of his bookings together um and we've got a great record label and reference recordings so it's just advice on where to go from here how to get to the next level how to get more awareness of what he's doing. We're thrilled we just got No Totten, which for, you know, as you know, is a huge festival. And mm -hmm. we, I've been a goal to, for, since we started working together. Last year we got Lucerne. So just every time you can get a next level venue or a next level press, you know, being cover of Blues Music Magazine was huge. He's big story in vintage guitar two months ago. So every time you can get that next thing, it gets you into a little better venue or a little, not necessarily better, because I'd have to say all of our venues are pretty fabulous, but right. maybe a bigger venue or get more people in the venue, um, be able to raise the cover charge a little bit more, more people buy the records. So every little thing like that layers up 
to make it so the artist it's more affordable for them to tour and which as you know has gotten more and more difficult over the years so I mean <coughs> the industry's changed drastically in the last five if not ten years yes how has that affected the way you do your job oh huge it's hugely different I mean you we're taking on way more stuff because there aren't as many record labels um, the budgets even if you have a record label, the budgets aren't what they used to be. Um, it's harder and harder to get press and radio with all the changes. Uh, radio, certainly, it's a little easier to get print, but not a lot of people read print <laughs> anymore. Um, and radio is not near as friendly and certainly not near as mainstream as for other venues or, uh, or genres of music. Um, if you're a, a blues radio show, you're maybe at two in the morning or on a small watt channel. Yeah. You know, it used to be, I, I was fortunate with Luther and when I had Johnny Lang and Susan Tedeschi, it was like the apex, right? I had all of them at the same time and AAA was supportive. AAA radio, which basically doesn't exist now, was huge. So they were getting on mainstream drive time, right. you know, and it you'd sold hundreds of thousands or millions of records, whereas now, Artists that used to be platinum or multi-platinum are thrilled to sell 300,000 copies. Right. And, you know, it's a, a, even when the record business was really, really, really good, less than 92% of albums sold more than 5,000 copies. So those platinum and multi-platinum artists supported kind of the whole industry. And now there's not a lot of them. And the, there's not as, the budgets, again, are not near as good. And it does take a little money to break an artist, you know? Right. So, so when these things are changing, how do you, how do you deal with that? Like, Stressfully yeah. sometimes. <laughs> uh, fortunately, I, I feel really blessed because I've been doing this for so long, longer than most women, certainly in the blues business. And I've been very, people have been so kind and so wonderful and everybody's kind of helped each other. And that's, uh, I don't know if that's the case in all genres of music it's not it's much more inclusive it's much more hey yes i'll help you i can help you with that radio guy yep let me make a call and introduce you to that venue you know and that's that's helped tremendously for everyone i can help some people people help me and it's much less ego affected than i think some there's some propriety but not not like there are in other areas of business you know right so I wonder how many like because I've talked to so many musicians who are at a certain level and you know they're reached a certain level of success success on their own and they always feel like I need management to take me to the next level I don't know how many people come to you and say Mickey can you represent me does that happen like ridiculous amount of times it happens a lot and there's a lot of artists I'd like to be able to take on that I just I can't time wise for one because it takes a lot of time um to be a good manager and it also it was a lot easier you know when when because luther was so successful when i started managing johnny lang it made it a lot easier because everybody had such success with luther so they would say you know it's like oh okay she's got luther she's telling us she'd like us to hire this kid they hired johnny everybody did really well with johnny so when i started with susan the door was even more open, you know, and, and so that's another advantage to management is that your manager has relationships perhaps that you don't have as, right. as the artist. And everybody, 
I think if you, and I'm blessed that I can say with my artists, they're all really good people and they have a lot of integrity and they don't go in and, you know, destroy the bar. (laughs) I mean, it's like that you can count on them to do a good show. They don't, you know, I've had a couple artists that cancel a lot of dates and there's different issues and those relationships don't last very long. So what goes into your deciding who you want to work with? I absolutely have to love the music. I have to feel a real connection with the artist. Um, I've turned down some artists that I would have probably made a lot of money on because that those part weren't part of the equation. And I've had artists that I don't make a lot of money on that I love and adore and am privileged to work with. And I am so proud of that. It's just, you know. But is it is it like um, a huge vetting process that, you know, let's say I come to you and say, Mickey, could you represent me? And, and you don't know nothing about me. And then you research my album and go see me live and right. get to research know me. Your, and yeah, and uh, have several conversations and um, look at the website, discuss philosophies because a lot of people just do things differently. There's some people that um, I'd love to work with, but and I don't mean unmanageable in a bad way, but are so used to micromanaging right. their own career that it's hard for them to let go of the things that they need to to let a manager be effective. And there's other people that it just... It just doesn't gel for whatever reason. It's not both people are really good people, and but right. you know, it's like like with friends. Sometimes you just there's it just doesn't fit together, you know. Um, but when it does fit together, it's magical, you know. I mean, I still get goosebumps when I hear even artists I don't work with anymore when I hear their song on the radio, you know, or, or see and I it's like or hear their just play their record. I get goosebumps, you know. It's awesome. Like what what would be the greatest satisfaction that you get? being a manager and I, I presume you know being nominated for things or winning things would be the obvious but is there some intangibles that like getting goosebumps that yeah that that, I think that that's what it is it's like just seeing your artist play and seeing how they touch the artist or the I'm sorry see the how audience. they touch the audience and you see people respond you know when when an artist has a good song and it's just playing for from their heart and their soul then you can just tell by the audience, you know, you sometimes you can hear a pin drop. It's people are so just in awe and other times people are just up dancing and screaming, and, you know, raising. I mean, we were in Japan when once and I had Johnny Lang and Syl Johnson there at the same time. And Johnny's crowd was so reverent and quiet and didn't clap and because they were being so respectful. And Syl is, and Otis Clay were like cult guys in Japan, you know? And so Silzop show across in another little village was completely different. People were like, Mr. Yansan, Mr. Yansan. And they had tons of albums. And, you know, you'd go into the record store and there'd be a whole wall of, of his albums on the wall. You know, it was just, it was awesome. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's just either way, just knowing that your artist gets to do what makes them happy, then you've done your job, you know? So the the names that you've mentioned, Syl Johnson, Johnny Lang, Luther Allison, Susan Tedeschi, these are all musicians who've reached a certain level of, of success. Yeah. Um, I presume something to do with what you've done. I think the team effort, for sure. You know, I think everybody, I had a part in it, certainly not the only part. Right. But, so know. is that, do you have a, a sixth sense that says this person has the ability to make it to this level or I'd like to think that I do but just because you do doesn't mean they will right. you know there's so many factors other than the, 
if it was just the talent, there would be so many multi-platinum artists, you know, there's so much luck involved. Um, in the day when there was, you know, we were lucky to get the right record company for Johnny. We had A&M, who Al Cafaro was CEO at the time and was so, he was like, let's just take a snapshot. You're, you know, you're 14. We'll take a snapshot of as you grow up, never expecting the first record to go platinum. And then now it's almost triple platinum. He was willing to, to take the ride. So he, you know, they were invested. Right. And they, they, we did a thing, you know, Fender jumped on board, Ray-Ban jumped on board, Disney jumped on board, and nobody said, oh, you've got to reach this or we're, we're going to drop you. It just, everybody was really in it in, for the long haul, and it, and it worked. You know, it was, we were, of course, all thrilled that it went quickly, or, you know, it didn't take two albums to get there, but... It, even if it, the first record would have been a hundred thousand, it would have been a great success in our, in our eyes, you know. And, and do you have like projected goals? Because you know, the other thing you mentioned about working with artists and seeing their vision, I find when I talk to a lot of musicians, it's not like I can ask them for a five-year plan and they will say, "I'm hoping to do this, this, and this," or "This is my goal." I'm not saying everybody, right? But for the most part, it seems like they don't seem to work that way. Well, I don't think they have the the opportunity when you're doing everything yourself. Right. You're just sometimes just, okay, I've got to get the next tour going. And now I'm on that tour and I'm wearing the road manager as the artist. You know, I'm the artist. I'm wearing, the, I'm, I'm selling the merch. I'm driving the van. I'm advancing the shows. There's not time to have that. You know, it's hopefully I'll get a manager to help me. Hopefully I'll get a booking agent to help me. Hopefully they'll help me get to a point where I can afford somebody to drive the van and then. Hopefully, which is what a manager can help with, and with that, how, with that long-term vision, and hopefully implement it and, and get the right people on the team, so that you can take away and more and more things, so that artists can just be creative. Right. And that that is the end goal, and be creative and not have to sell out, be able to to make it really performing the music they want to perform, and that they feel not saying well. You know, you're really good, but the only way you're going to do it is if now you become a jazz player. <laughs> but I want to be blues. Well, you're only going to make money if you do this. You know, it's like it's you want to make it so that these are the songs that just come right out from inside of them and they get to play and make a living doing it. And that's the end goal. I know that people talk about the management said, let's try this, or they will bring ideas. But ultimately, the, the decision is always up to the artist. Um, it, with my artists, it is. Okay. You know, we talk about it, and then in the in and uh, you know, especially with the young artists, I'll say, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I don't know everything. I have some ideas. Some are good. Some may not be. But ultimately, it's your decision. You know, I, I ask you have the respect to listen to what I'm saying, which is coming from maybe a little more experience than you have. But if it's you're uncomfortable with it, or if that's not what you want to do, but I will support what you want to do. But to a certain degree, they come to you because they want that advice, right. right? They want some of that. Right. I don't know if you're willing to share this, but could you give me an example of a decision that you said, we should try this, and it was a great um, example, and vice versa. Um, <laughs> the negative, what we said. Well, a very simple example is um, Beverly McClellan's uh, Fear Nothing album, which is an amazing album and did really well and was well recepted. And the cover shot Mark Norberg took, and it's she's got this fear nothing tattoo, um, so it's her without she had Luther's guitar actually in front of her and no top on or anything, and it's just a picture of her with her eyes closed, 
it's just a powerful statement and the, and the name of the album is Fear Nothing and her tattoo basically right. states that and she was like oh no I don't like that I don't want a picture of me on it and I'm like Bev you gotta trust me on this and people reacted so strongly to that that vision of her because it was just it was stunning you know and it was so raw and it got a lot of press and it got a lot I mean it's just a small thing but right. it was one thing where it was like if she'd have been the artist, she would have never gone, <laughs> gone there. You know, it's like, I'm not taking my shirt off. And, you know, and she wasn't, I mean, it wasn't right. like you could see anything below her collarbone or anything. But, um, and then I had another artist who I had an amazing showcase for that. Oh my gosh. Every record, not only the A&R guys, but the CEOs were at, and it was amazing. And I, you know, was pr- promoting her as a, a singer songwriter, which she was amazing at. And she decided to do a cover song that she was not very good at. And it was a cover song, which was not right anyway. And we did this showcase and she came out of the bathroom and looked like a completely different person than I'd ever seen. She was like all goth and she was this beautiful (laughs) woman. I mean, it was just so not what we had presented and then got up there and did this song and did it not well and literally like, almost half the people <laughs> I went in the bathroom and threw up <laughs> so in the end we ended up getting a major label deal but it took a lot more work we would have so yeah so at this point what does a major label deal mean to you uh budget okay budget and resources that are very difficult certainly for an artist to do on their own and for I mean the indie labels in the blues world are fantastic and um very integrity-based, and I can't say enough about them. I mean, there would be no blues around without these labels, you know. But they don't have the budget of the major labels, and they don't have the multi-platinum artists that they can say, okay, we're going to give you Janet Jackson, but you've got to play our new (laughs) blues guy, you know, or we'll do this, but, you know, yeah, we'll do this on this festival, but we want this artist on our festival as well. So they have that kind of clout that that can hasten the process of getting your artists exposed. But I often get the impression, and I might be completely wrong in this, but major labels seem to have the resources and the money that they can throw at it to make something big. Right. But at that time, there's, at the same time, there's this cost to that bigness that that is really coming out of future earnings of the artist and so even though they might sell a few more albums and depending on how much more right they're already in debt a bigger amount by going that route that's true but um i know the payoff is bigger well and the even though you may take a lot longer to get your royalties the advance you got up front is oftentimes way more than you would ever make getting paid all your royalties (laughs) Selling ten thousand records, you know, getting a couple hundred thousand dollar advance, and because you're going to get your publishing no matter what, if you have. But you owe that money though. That's just an advance, and technically, it's not your money. Yeah, but you don't have to pay it back if you if you don't sell the records. Right. Right. So as opposed to getting a ten thousand dollar advance and getting you know twelve points or fourteen points, which the major labels offer as well, you have to pay that money back to an indie as well. So if you sell 5,000 records, you're not going to recoup in either way. So if you've got $200,000 and you don't recoup, 
and you spend it wisely. And and the bottom line is, in my opinion, the most if the way you make money on your records is by touring. Right. And and more so these days. Oh, totally. But it's always been that way. You know, I mean, when they part of the downfall of the music business was when they re-signed, you know, Boston and all these big bands who didn't tour, they didn't think it was necessary for them to tour, and they all lost money. Right. Because they didn't tour, and they didn't sell millions of records, you know, and the record companies just assumed they would. And then they decided to put out CDs without any watermark so everybody in the world could copy them. I mean, a big problem in this industry is the a lot of the major labels are very reactive, not proactive. So it's like, well, I don't want to spend the money researching to do that watermark that would make it so Napster can't come in and copy the records, you know, right. starting way back when this all happened. Because I, I want my bonus for the profits I'm going to make and then my bonus for signing at the next label I'm going to go to, right? So nobody ended up wanting to sell it. Everybody knew that if you were putting out a master when you did a CD, so obviously anybody could copy it, which right. was a huge, huge mistake, right? So... So when Napster was going on and it was becoming the thing and people were talking about it, I know that the industry, the record industry and record labels weren't reacting very quickly to it. Right. From your point of view, what would you, did you recognize the problem and would you have hoped that something else was being dealt with in a different way? Oh yeah, everybody knew immediately it was a problem because before your record was even out, somebody that you sent it to perhaps in the press or a friend would give it to somebody that got it on Napster, and before your record was even in the record stores, 80,000 people had it. Right. That's a huge part of, especially in the blues world, the people that might have bought it that just got it for free. So when you saw that happening, what did you think? That the artists were getting stolen from on every level and that it was going to wreck the business. So you saw that? Yeah. I, I wasn't the only one. I mean, everybody saw that. <laughs> it's pretty obvious, pretty fast. So now Napster's kind of disappeared, did its damage, and now we have streaming. And your thoughts on streaming? Because now it is, it's already there. It is... I think streaming has the same dangers. You know, I think there's a lot of artists that don't, especially roots artists, you know, because a lot of all of these things, if you're paying four ninety nine to have unlimited access to music... It's like the Nielsen system, you know. This level of artist is going to get paid this much regardless. This, you know, the 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 roots and blues artists are not getting their fair share. The there's a lot harder way of policing it. the The biggest advantage we have in the blues music is people still go out and hear music. People are. I'm kind of on the lower half age-wise and I'm 57 you know, so and we still like to actually have the physical yeah, CD yeah. you know and see the liner notes and and read the lyrics and which the kids today are streaming and they're not they don't they just don't have any concept that through all of this what we have done as an industry is lessen the value of music so why would these kids think that there's a value to it They've never, they've been born into, they can just access whatever they want mm -hmm. for nothing or little to nothing. Plus, the other sad thing is, is they don't even, they're listening to on their iPods, they don't even know what really, really good recordings sound like, right? right. They're not hearing a really well-made album. They're not even hearing a really well-produced CD. They're hearing, you know, several generations down from it, and it's, they don't have a clue what the, like an audiophile record would be, you know? 
So that being the reality, and that's the world we live in, there's no change. There's no going back. There's no going back. It's touring. More so, than ever, touring is you got to go and then hope that people there will buy your product. And if it's not your CD, maybe they'll buy your T-shirt because they've already downloaded your CD. Or you'll get paid enough for the ticket, and because they've downloaded all this stuff for free, maybe you'll get, maybe they'll all think it's okay to pay, you know, in the rock world, seventy-five to three hundred dollars for a ticket. Right. <laughs> you know, in the blues world, people are like ten dollars. You know, it's like, okay, when's the last time you went to? You know? <laughs> I have a friend that just was like, yeah, I just got tickets for. I can't remember the band, and it's they were three hundred and fifty dollars. I'm like, oh my god! You know, know, if the blues world could get three hundred and fifty dollars a ticket, all of our musicians would be paying their mortgages and have health care, and you know, it'd be a it'd be but a it's much... still important for them to release new material. Oh, absolutely. Which they might not make money back on through streaming, but hopefully through sales, through sa- live sales, and plus it's what you know, all of those smaller the, the podcasts the the blues radio shows all of that is keeping the music alive and keeping touring alive and if you don't have new stuff it's not as interesting the third time you come to town right to play your music right or why would i write up if i'm a writer and i've got 15 shows in town this week i'm going to write up the people that have a new product out so in that regard plus it keeps your you know your audience wants to hear new stuff and wants to hear how you evolve. And so it's really important on every level that you just keep putting out. Plus as an artist, at least with the artists I know, by the time you get out of the studio and you listen to every note 50 million times while you're getting the record ready. And then, you know, like it's been said, I can't remember which artists, many artists have said, you know, you better really, really like the song they pick as a single because you're going to be playing it till the day you die, you know? So the artist gets tired of playing the same thing because their lives move on. Right. And the music is uh, is a story of their life in, in most cases. So it's like, okay, now it's two years later. I have a whole lot of other stuff I need to get out and I need to play and be excited about and I want people to hear. And I really believe that musicians of every genre are put on this earth because they have a message you know i mean even though people don't realize the monetary value of music it's what we listen to to celebrate it's what we listen to to grieve it's what we listen to to clean the house it's what we listen to to make love it's what we listen to it in the background and we don't even realize it you know when we're doing something else but it's there you know it's it's you don't go to a wedding and have no music you don't go to a funeral you know what i mean it's like and pe- that's what people forget. It's like it's such an integral part of our lives that we need to start telling people that the artists that are producing it need to be able to make a living doing it. You know, it's I I, I sell art when I go on tour with my bands. Uh, currently, I've got uh, I'm on Kenny Wayne Shepherd's management team, and uh, one of my my biggest things with all my bands is merch. I mean, it's it's what a huge revenue in, in making musicians be able to continue right. making music or money in this business, right? And people will say, oh, $20 for a CD. And I literally, I look at them and I say, yep, it's the price of two beers and you have it when you get out of the bathroom. <laughs> and your children will have it and your grandchildren can have it. And, and they're like, yes, they're standing there with two drinks in their hand. And, you know, a lot of drinks at, at theaters and stuff are $14 for a drink. Right. So you add a tip to that, and you've 
basically <laughs> bought a CD every time you buy a drink, right? And people go, oh, God, I never thought about it that way. It's crazy that you have to explain that. Yeah. Or, you know, when I had the club, it's like, well, it's my friend. I shouldn't have to pay the $7 cover charge. Well, do you work at Macy's? Can he come in and get a suit? Because he's your friend. You know, it's just, I don't know how it happened that we just decided that it's the one thing that we need and love, and but we don't put any, we just, just take it for granted, I guess. Right. Um, and then the other side of it is to make a decent CD, I mean, you can make CDs or an, an album inexpensively. You can go to lesser expensive studios and get something recorded. Or have a studio in your home, a yeah. lot of artists do and, now. But there is a difference. There is a difference. And and you listen to it, maybe not on your computer speakers or earbuds, but you know, when I listen to like a Derek Trucks album, I can hear... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, like I mean, but you know that that was recorded in a, a high-end studio right. and they put money into it and they spent time... But I don't know if it wasn't Derek Trucks, if it makes sense. If somebody, one of your artists said, I want to do this, I'm going to take three months to record, it's going to cost me $50,000 to do the album, you might say, that's not a really good idea anymore. Because I would say if we have the $50,000, it's a good idea. <laughs> but finding somebody to put that money up independently or to find a, a label that will put that up is pretty difficult now. Right. Um, you can do a really good record for... $15,000 to record it Be- because there are enough studios and really good producers that know the situation right. that will will help make that happen um, who have had $300,000 budgets in studios that were $2,000 a day and now have also you know know all the changes that have gone through and they're as passionate about the music so they'll help the bigger problem comes in to it takes you know fifteen thousand dollars minimum to hire a good publicist and to hire somebody to work radio, and then you've got you know all the other possible promotions you can add are what on top of it. So it's not just the budget to make the record, unless you're just going out and peddling it yourself. Which again, that's where a big part of the money is for an artist. So an artist, if you do it yourself, you're paying a dollar for you know to have your record printed. Right. And you're selling it for twenty dollars. That's nineteen dollars in your pocket, as opposed to paying your record label seven to ten dollars for it, and then having to pay the venue. And you know everybody gets their piece out of it. So there can still be money made if you're touring, but um, it's you should make a good quality record. And some artists can make can do it themselves. We were going to do one uh, with Beverly, who unfortunately, as I shared with you earlier, is uh, very very ill. Um, for ten thousand dollars, and uh, the last record we did for a hundred thousand um, dollars. But with the touring, and stage sales, and just getting a new record out there, and people are excited for a follow-up record, we could have made it work because we would have done the press ourselves. We would have done, you know, which again having a team helps with the artist because for an artist to have to do all of that alone is really there's just not enough time. Right. One of the other things you do is. You're a tour mom for Steve Vai. Yeah. And I have to tell you, I don't know if you know the story, but the reason why I'm doing this podcast, when it comes down, all is said and done, is because I almost got an interview with Steve Vai through your help. Ah, and it started off with me asking if I could do an interview with him about B.B. King. Right. He agreed. And then I thought, if I can talk to Steve Vai, I want to ask him more than... I just <laughs> talked to him today. B.B. <laughs> King. And I said... 
could I have half an hour? And at that point, the management said, yeah, maybe we can do that. Um, and then I thought, well, if I have half an hour, I need to use that and I need to create a podcast. So I quickly called up a couple of musicians' friends and I started interviewing them and started this podcast in hopes that I would actually interview Steve. Well, we'll still make it happen. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but no, I mean, but I just wanted to say, I didn't want that commitment. But, it, <laughs> but I did want to say that that was the inspiration behind this is that at one point or another, I thought, you know, I love to interview people. Um, I want to do a podcast, and this would be the perfect reason for it. So that's the inspiration. So ah, you, have a, that's awesome. you have a role in this. So. Um, but how did you get that role as a tour mom? Um, well, I've, I've kind of tour momed most of my bands, so um, I'm good at it um, in that I, because, I've, I, because I'm just a mom. <laughs> and um, the Beverly McClellan um, was on The Voice, uh, my artist who's uh, – She's amazing. And we were did a Grammy preservation uh, performance and showcase. And Steve was there as one of the present, uh, presenters with Sharon Osbourne. And I had met Steve before for just a minute when I managed a different artist for just about a minute <laughs> who was on his label for just about a minute. And uh, I knew he loved yeah, I, I knew he would love Beverly. So he was there and I went up and I said, Steve, I really, really would like you to listen to this artist. I think you'll really like her. And he's like, okay, you know. And so I gave him the album. Well, then Beverly went out and started singing, and I heard him say, who the is that? And so I stalked him out into the theater, and he was just awestruck watching her. And uh, so I called him, and I, um, or I gave him my information again, and then uh, he called and said, my album was finished and I just pulled it out of the mail to go to the masters. It's not finished now until Beverly sings on it. And so on the Story of Light album, she sings John the Revelator. And it was just magical between them. And I said, well, I'd really like the tour. And he goes, well, I don't take opening bands out on the tour. And I'm like, I know, but she really needs your audience. And you know, you could use her her audience because you know, she's a bluesy ritzy artist and she's a lesbian and she has a whole different crowd than you do, right? And I said, and I really want Europe for her because I know Europe will just freak out on Beverly, right? So he's like, well, I don't know. Let me think about it. And then he called back. He goes, okay. And I said, well, now there's a little bit of an issue because she, you know, Beverly grew up in a very small town in North um, North Carolina and uh, literally like one stoplight in the town. And she lived with her mama and papa, you know, and her aunt and uncle were there and very sheltered. And, she's, and then she moved to Fort Lauderdale, but she being on The Voice was the first time she was, you know, out of either Fort Lauderdale or North right. Carolina. And that was a that was a big, big, big thing. So um, she said, well, I'm not going unless you go. <laughs> so I called Steve and I'm like, well, I'm really glad you put her on the tour, but she won't go unless I go and we can't afford to go unless we're on your bus. <laughs> so he's, and I mean, he's just the nicest man. And he's like, oh, okay, we can do that. So then we went and, you know, Beverly played a half an hour on every show. So, and you know, they had a huge operation going. So yeah. I just started helping their guys and um, and helping Steve and whatever, because I, I was there all the time, right? And so then she had to leave because uh, her best friend uh, had cancer and had to have a double mastectomy and was very ill. And she had to leave the tour. And Steve said, well, selfishly, we'd like you to stay. And I said, well, I can stay because she's not going to be doing any dates. And I wasn't going on the road with my other artists. So as long as I have my computer and a phone, you know, you can pretty much be anywhere. And so 
it worked out really well and then I've gotten to go on a couple other tours with him and work a couple of his Vi Academy camps and we've become very good friends and wow. his wife Pia's lovely and his kids and they're just he's he's an amazing seriously amazingly nice guy and Everybody's like, well, what's it like to be, you know, on the rock tour? You're always with the blues guys. It must be, you know, because he was with David Lee Roth. And yeah, yeah. Staff, so everybody thinks it's this big, wild thing. And I'm like, well, we listen to Eckhart Tolle and Wayne Dyer, and we play Scrapple. <laughs> and that's honestly the truth. <laughs> so they're just, they, Steve's whole crew is amazing. His band is amazing. His mm-hmm. management is fabulous. I mean, another example is if you have the whole team. It's right. just, it works, you know, and he's, he's a lovely man. So my final question to you, you've dealt with artists of different levels, like Steve, and, and obviously an amazing success, Susan Tedeschi and numerous other people. What makes an artist successful? I mean, do you see a quality in the people who are successful that you don't see in others? They absolutely cannot live without playing music. And they transcend when they're playing their music. You can see it on stage. They just go into this other world. And it's not like they can just, you know, some artists are incredibly talented and have everything, but they really, truly would be just fine being a carpenter, right? you know, because they get the same joy out of that kind of creativity. Whereas I think uh, like Steve and Luther and without music, that the, their spirit would die. You know, it's it's who they are. Well, Mickey, I've been wanting to talk to you well, for many, nice many years. It's always nice to see you. And, and as I said, you have been kind to me since my first television series, and I got to work with some of your artists back then, and, and you were always supportive. So it's a real pleasure for me to actually sit down and get to know you a little bit. Well, it's Thank a pleasure you for, for doing me too, because without people like you, my bands would not have any success I mean it really no seriously it's like people that you're promoting the music and you do all of this stuff for artists to get their name out there and to get their music out there and you're part of the village that and the team that makes it work and that's very truly the truth you know it's just that that's we're very lucky to have you thank you I really appreciate that thank you for doing this oh thank you thank you